when I started Namex in 1989, there was literally not a single supplement company or herbal company in the United States that was selling any kind of mushrooms as part of their product line. So uh, I was at a point where I was having to introduce mushrooms to a industry that knew nothing about them. Hi, I'm Zoe. Hi, I'm Erica. Hey, Erica. This is our podcast. Well, what do we do on the podcast? Uh, we talk to wellness experts. Well, what do we talk about? Mm, wellness stuff. And why are we doing this? Because we want to have an inclusive conversation about things that you can actually use and apply to your life. Right. We don't think that wellness should feel preachy. We think it should feel like everybody can participate. That's right. So if you like what you hear, tell a friend. Give us five stars. They're do all free. All of the above. All of the above. And think of us as your navigators on the bumpy highway to well. Happy Monday, Erica. Happy Monday, Zoe. How's it going? Oh, it's wonderful. How's it going for you? We've only spoken like 17 other times today. So, you know. know. (laughs) How's it going since one o'clock? It's great. I showered. I definitely am feeling more refreshed. Um, It's, I've just, changed into my day pajamas, as I like to call them. Yes. Um, <laughs> I have my PM jammies and my AM jammies. Yeah. Because that's how we do uh, now in quarantine days. Uh, <laughs> right. We have to mention that it's also quarantine time. Even so though we're in our pajamas all day, we have been working on something. We have been working on something. We were busting our jammies. Oh, boy. Yeah. We, we've, been, um, we've been in the lab with a pen and a pad. Um, so to speak, and a can full of hope for the past year. Yes, for, for what seems like ever. So we're going to have our big like reveal, but I think this particular episode interview that we did with Jeff Chilton is kind of a nice way to tee it up. Yeah, it is quite. So Jeff is a um, just wealth of knowledge, as are so many people who we talk to on this program, but he is a mushroom expert. He's out in the Pacific Northwest. He's got a great company called Real Mushrooms. And I mean, he's one of the first sort of pioneers to bring proper fruiting body, functional or medicinal mushroom extracts over from their place of origin, which is basically China, Siberia, places like that. It is not a small field. I think the the fungi kingdom is vast and it is truly, to quote Michael Pollan, the frontier of knowledge, hmm, shall we? Mm-hmm. Yes, we shall. Because there's everything in there. We're not talking about culinary mushrooms. We're talking about functional mushrooms. We're not talking about psilocybin, which is the trippy mushroom. We're talking really about the medicinal um, properties of these mushrooms that have huge benefits for your health, just all around from immunity. I mean, they're all immune boosting uh, immunity to cognitive function to, uh, you know, athletic performance. I mean, just like name it. It's crazy. It just doesn't end. It literally, it sounds like a joke when you start rattling off the, the benefits, like anti-cancer, anti-tumor. I mean, um, but it's legit and it's the world's most studied superfood, right? It and is. A and, lot of um, pharmaceuticals. What's that? Yes, the pharmaceuticals. Yes, share it. Yeah, many of our, almost like half of our pharmaceuticals are um, derived from mushrooms, 
They are the most popular one being penicillin, which is an antibiotic I think everyone's familiar with. Spoiler, it's from a mold. It's from the fun drive <laughs> kingdom. Crazy. So we got into all of this with Jeff um, because, as you said, he's a total wealth of knowledge. And I think at this point, you know, the cat is pretty much at least halfway out of the bag that, uh, you know, if you've, if you've kept count, this is probably our sixth, fifth or sixth episode that is focused specifically on this category. Um, because, spoiler alert, this is the area that we are, uh, we are about to venture into with our new product. So that's going to be exciting. But let's not take away from the absolute value and uh, incredible information that Jeff was able to impart with uh, yes. in our conversation. Jeff is the man of the hour. We are not. We'll <laughs> find another hour elsewhere. <laughs> All right. Have a listen. Enjoy. And uh, stay tuned for, for more updates from us. I know I know you have a bit of a sense that uh, of what we're doing and we are playing in this space as well. And we're super excited to, um, to learn more from, uh, from you because you are such an expert. But if you could tell us a little bit about Namex maybe and, and, and what you do and what you guys are producing. Sure. Well, Namex was uh, started in 1989. That's when I started the, the company. Uh, I have actually been a mushroom grower and in the mushroom, actual mushroom industry since 1973. So to, to form Namex sort of 20 years later was a move for me to go from actually growing mushrooms for food to producing mushroom extracts as nutritional supplements and, and entering into a completely different marketplace, which was the whole herbal industry. And, and when I started Namex in 1989, there was literally not a single supplement company or herbal company in the United States that was selling any kind of mushrooms as part of their product line. So uh, I was at a point where I was having to introduce mushrooms to a industry that knew nothing about them. Mm-hmm. So how did you transition from um, culinary mushrooms to medicinal mushrooms? And how, how did you discover them? Well, being somebody who, who was in it because I just loved the whole, I, I loved the fact of, I mean, I, I'm a wild mushroom hunter. I studied mushrooms in university. Uh, I enjoyed every day, pretty much of my 10 years at the commercial mushroom farm I worked on. It was a very, very big farm. And it was, I just enjoyed the whole, the whole idea of mushrooms. And, and part of my study was all about how mushrooms are used worldwide for food, for medicine, and in shamanic purposes. So transitioning from food to medicine was not too difficult. And, and remember, growing mushrooms is something where it's not just a crop that you plant in the spring and harvest in the fall. Mushroom growing, especially in the United States, occurs indoors. And you have multiple crops going on at the same time. So you may have, uh, on this farm that I worked on, you may have 
let's just say, 50 different crops in different stages going on all the time. It never, ever stops. Every single day, you have to have harvesters in to harvest your crop. Mushrooms are not picked by machines. They're picked by hand. Every single mushroom that you see in the supermarket has been picked by hand. Can you imagine that? Amazing. Pick like, by hand. So, so the other side of it is that once you pick it, like most crops, you have to get it to market. Well, after I left that mushroom farm and was out on my own, I realized that rather than being a babysitter to a mushroom crop, which demands you to be there seven days a week the whole year long, that it would be much easier and in some ways more satisfying to have products that were dry powders that could sit on the shelf and didn't have to be taken to market immediately. So that for me was a big part of moving over into the whole business area of selling medicinal mushroom extracts. And were extracts and powders being produced prior to that? And you were kind of, they were on your radar or was this sort of a new, completely new frontier? Well, it's absolutely new frontier in, in the U.S. and, and uh, the West, so to speak. Nothing new about it uh, in China because basically uh, mushrooms have been part of traditional Chinese medicine for thousands of years. So in and, and 1989, was my first trip to China to go to an international mushroom conference. And at that point, I met lots of people. And for the next 10 years, I traveled back and forth to China, visiting research institutes, visiting farms, visiting processors, making lots of contacts and really understanding what was going on over there. Because that's really the heartland for mushroom growing. And what's interesting today is that 85% of the world's mushrooms are grown in China. Mm-hmm. And can you explain, okay, so this is a this is a big one. something that feels very timely. I think that the, you know, the current climate in China and even before this whole crisis, I think American consumers have always been a bit skeptical about product coming over from China for whatever reason. So could you just explain a little bit why when we're when we're thinking about medicinal mushrooms specifically, it's actually a good thing, Americans, <laughs> that uh, that they're that they're coming in from China? Sure, sure. Um, first of all, look, um, we have to realize that that where it's grown, I mean, the U.S. puts tons and tons of chemicals on their produce. There are spots in the U.S. where you would go like, I don't want something grown from the Gulf Coast of the United States coming onto my plate, right? So this is something where we're all concerned about that. And I understand why people should be concerned. So there are places in China that are are quite polluted. Uh, There are a lot of industries there that pollute. I mean, I've seen definitely a lot of polluted rivers over there and areas, but where we grow our products, and this is this would be the same as anywhere in the world, where we grow them are deep in the mountains, far away from heavy industry in, in really agricultural areas. 
which is not to say that in those areas, they may not be spraying their crops, other crops with chemicals. But this is something where in 1997, I went to China and I brought OCIA with me, which is the largest organic certifier in the United States. And we had the very first organic certification workshop for mushrooms in China in 1997. I believe in organic certification. And that's, that's why, I mean, if you, if you look at even the United States, what percentage of our produce in the markets is actually chemical-free or organically certified? I mean, just a tiny percentage. So, so really, for me, it's a matter of where is it grown and what is being done to maintain a chemical-free product? And here's the other thing that I think is really important for people to understand. You know, I talked about mushrooms being harvested by hand. Mushrooms, you cannot produce mushrooms in the United States and sell them as supplements. The reason for that is, and you're going, well, we're selling mushrooms all the time. Yes, fresh mushrooms, you can grow. You can make a profit off of growing them, but supplements are dry powders. The minute you take that mushroom, which is 90% water, and you dry it out, now instead of getting $5 a pound for that mushroom, you have to get $50 a pound for it. That does not work in terms of the supplement industry. Nobody can make any money uh, with that price on mushrooms that are being grown in the United States for that reason. There are no, and I mean this, there are no mushrooms grown in the United States and put into the supplement industry. So anybody who's in the supplement industry that potentially that claims that their mushrooms are U.S. grown is pulling some wool? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I think, you know, this, this sort of goes to the whole issue of, well, what are they selling then if they say it is grown in the United States? Well, the, the fact of the matter is, is that right now there are a number of companies that produce mycelium and they produce this mycelium on grain. And let me, let me just give you a little bit of background on the life cycle of this organism. Yeah, we want to talk for sure about mycelium and all that. So because Because... First off, how do we grow mushrooms? They don't have seeds. So how do we plant mushrooms, right? Well, mushrooms have spores. Those spores uh, float out into the environment. They land on the ground. They land in wood. Each spore, ultimately, when conditions are right, will germinate into a very fine filament. That filament's called a hyphae. When multiple filaments fuse together and form a network, that network is called mycelium. Mycelium is actually the vegetative body of this. And what it does out there, it is, it is actually um, consuming all of the organic matter that builds up on the ground or all the wood that falls off of trees or leaves or plants. That's what this mycelium is doing that as the vegetative body of this organism. It is uh, basically, in a sense, it's composting everything and, and breaking it down 
to a point where then it can be utilized as humus by plants again. Now, when conditions are right, that mycelial network is going to produce a mushroom. And normally, in most places, it's in the fall. So it has built up, built up a lot of nutrients. And then when conditions right, up comes a mushroom. And, you know, most people go, oh, where'd that come from? Because it's like all of a sudden there, well, it's been forming and slowly growing. And when it gets to a certain size, notice it. So the mycelium will produce a mushroom. The mushroom will go through its different stages of growth until it's mature, at which point it will will uh, release spores. And then we have a completion of this life cycle. So now what companies will do is they will grow that mycelium, that vegetative body in a laboratory on sterilized grain. So think about this. Uh, are you familiar with tempeh? Mm-hmm. Yes. That's what they're doing. They're growing out tempeh. Tempeh is cooked soybeans that has a fungus grown on it. So when you're eating tempeh, you're actually eating mycelium. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, that's what tempeh is. Right? Yeah, that's mycelium. It's a fungal mycelium. And, and that particular fungus does not produce a mushroom. It's called an imperfect fungus. And whereas mushrooms are part of a classification of perfect fungi. So that means it will produce a mushroom or, a, or what we would call a fruiting body, but that tempeh fungus does not. So it just grows out on that soybeans. It's, it's, you look at it and it's white. You slice it up and you can see the soybeans. You can see all the white there. That is what companies do. They grow this mycelium on sterilized grain. It may be rice, it may be oats, it may be other grains. And then at the end of the process, they dry that out, grind it to a powder, grain and all, and then they will sell it as mushroom. Right. Right. So just to give another visual for people who have a hard time imagining it, because it's just so insane if you've never seen it. But mycelium is almost like if you just think of very fine, like a very fine root structure, right? Like to trees or flowers. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Right? yeah. And then that's all just right beneath our feet. We can't quite see it, but it's all interconnected and it's underground. And it, it, think of it in terms, think of it as roots. But um, the fruiting body is the actual mushroom that pops up, right? That's the part that we see. Just to give a little bit more of. No, that's absolutely, that's absolutely correct. Because I mean, normally we only see the mushroom, but if you're out there and harvesting a wild mushroom, if you were to, as you pull it out of the ground, look into the ground there, you would see this white mycelium, and it's normally white, in the ground. And, and otherwise, the only time you might see this mycelium is you might see molds growing sometimes on your bread, which in the beginning might be white, then it'll turn green. And so you'll see molds and mold mycelium. But basically, this is what's happening. And the only reason that this is being done is because mushrooms cannot be grown economically in the U.S. and sold as supplements. Now, when I say that, there are always going to be small, little, let's just call them boutique mushroom growers that will have their own small line 
because they're growing small amounts of mushrooms and they're making a tincture or something like that. There'll always be those types of people. But in terms of any kind of real quantity that can be put into the market, it's not there. It's just not economical. So they're selling this, what I call myceliated grain or tempeh. And and you know what? I've got no problem with that. The problem for me is, look, if you're going to sell that, don't call it mushroom. It's not mushroom. And not only that, look, if you're, if you're paleo or if you're someone who does not eat grains and a, a lot of companies do not put the grains on the label. Some companies will note that in the fine print, if you look at supplement facts and the fine print, it might say myceliated brown rice or myceliated oats or something like that. But on the front panel of that bo- a bottle, you've got a picture of a mushroom. Right. It says reishi mushroom. And sometimes there'll even be a little, a little circle that says made from 100% organic mushrooms. Yeah, it just creates confusion. It's, I mean, it's not dissimilar to even like the GMO conversation. It's like, it's one thing, you know, not all GMOs across the board are terrible depending on which products you're talking about. It's more a question of like, People deserve transparency. And if you're going to use GMOs, if you're going to use mycelium, then just be upfront about it and be clear so consumers know what they're getting. And especially to your point, if you're like a grain-free, you know, if you're paleo, if you actually can't tolerate grain and you're buying a product that's called mushroom when it's made from grain, that's just, I mean, that's complete misinformation. That's absolutely right. And I've been pushing back on this since about 19 or since about 2015. Uh, when I sort of realized that the market was dominated by these products that were calling themselves mushroom that weren't really mushroom, I did a I did a study, and in this study, and it's called redefining medicinal mushrooms. I had ninety five samples that I used to test, and forty of those samples I bought right off the internet that were these particular. Uh, myceliated grain products. I had dried mushrooms that I tested and I had our extracts that I tested. I tested them all for beta-glucans and ergosterol. Ergosterol is the fungal sterol. Ergosterol is used by the grain industry actually to test for fungal contamination. So it gives you an idea of is are there any fungi in whatever it is? And you can kind of quantify it that way. So I tested for beta-glucans. I tested for ergosterol. Normally, a mushroom will have 25 to 60% beta-glucan. Beta-glucan is the compound which makes mushrooms medicinal. It is the compound that activates our immunity. So mushrooms, 25 to 60%. These products were on average, 6% beta-glucan. The other thing this test showed, because it also tested for starches, which are called alpha-glucans, mushrooms do not have starch. They have glycogen like we do, but small amounts, like maybe 2 or 3%. These products had levels of alpha-glucan from 30 to 60%. 
So what that was, was the starch from the grains in the product. So these products were actually completely opposite of what a genuine mushroom would have. These products were high in starch, low in beta-glucan. Mm-hmm. A mushroom has no starch and it's high in beta-glucans. So can we talk a little bit about just very broadly, um, I know beta-glucans is a big part of this, but what are, I mean, we talked a little bit about culinary mushrooms, medicinal mushrooms. We are definitely not talking in this episode about uh, psilocybin, the trippy mushrooms. So what do medicinal mushrooms broadly, like what are they doing for us? What are their main benefits and properties? Before we go there, can I just can I just ask for one kind of transition, which is to say, I guess we just want to reinforce that mycelium is not, it's not a bad thing, right? Like we we're seeing now in the marketplace that there are uses for that products made of mycelium, which is great because they're using, you know, instead of plastic or instead of non-compostable and non, you know, biodegradable ingredients, we're seeing certain types of, you know, paper looking packaging, whatever, made from mycelium. But the point we're trying to make here and, and get to, to Zoe's point, is it, mycelium is, is not bad. It's just not medicinal. So if you're focusing on medicinal and beta-glucans, then that's where, you know, that's where we want to go. Well, well, let, let me just clarify that because there is nothing wrong with mycelium. Mycelium has beta-glucans in it because beta-glucans make up 50% of the cell wall of the mushroom or the mycelium. The point is that when they are selling these products, the majority of the product is actually grain. And it's very low. Like I would say these products might be 10 to 15% mycelium based on our tests. In China, actually, they manufacture products where they grow pure mycelium in large tanks of liquid, and then they take the liquid away and they have pure mycelium. Nothing wrong with that at all. Now, it doesn't produce nearly the same number of compounds that a mushroom. The mushroom is very complex, produces a lot of of compounds that mycelium does not. But no, there's not absolutely nothing wrong with mycelium. The fact of them growing it on grain and not removing the grain means that most of that product that they're selling you is starch. And that is the crazy thing is that they're selling starch to people that are looking for something that can enhance their immunity. Right. So it's obviously, it's the, it's the grain is the number one issue, but the other issue is also that mycelium is not a mushroom. So people are calling mycelium, you know, they're labeling it as mushroom. Which is Absolutely awesome. right. Absolutely right. So, so you know, and, and it's like, look, the people say, well, why isn't, uh, why isn't the government doing something about this? You know what? Guess what? The, uh, the uh, FDA is interested in products that are really harming people. Right. These products are not harming anybody unless you want to look at it in terms of your, it is being misrepresented and you think you're getting benefits when you're not. And maybe, and this is what I, what really concerns me is there are people out there with life-threatening illnesses that are using the mushroom to help them and help their immunity. Let's say they've got cancer or something. They want something to help keep their immunity higher and they're taking this mushroom product, which could be expensive, thinking they're getting this benefit when they're not. 
So on to the benefits. <laughs> yeah, and, and, yeah. And, and, you know, I, I look at, at mushrooms generally and certainly medicinal mushrooms as prevention. And, and the benefits come from what happens is these beta-glucans. We, we actually have beta-glucan receptors down in our uh, lower intestine. We have these receptors down there. So the beta-glucans, they don't get digested. Uh, they don't hardly even get broken down in the stomach or anything. They're, they're going down. They're hitting these receptor sites. And then what they're doing is they're actually uh, potentiating are strengthening uh, the immune cells that we have, uh, NK cells, macrophages, um, helper T cells. So that's what they're doing. They're potentiating our immunity. And they're, they're, you know, when I say prevention, they're there. And if you need this help, they're, you know, you, you start to get sick or something, well, they will start to enhance the production of these immune cells. And that's really the key for what is happening here. If, you know, and this is kind of the idea too of, of uh, people these days talk about adaptogens. Mushrooms are premier adaptogens in the sense that you can take them all the time. You don't have to worry about stopping and starting or anything like that, but they are there. They're working for you. They're in the background. I tell people all the time, do not expect them to work right away. That's not how they work. They, you, you, just like when I tell people, put mushrooms into your diet, they need to be there working for you in the background all the time. They, you know, just okay. like I consider them to be uh, a premier food, uh, uh, food as medicine. And, and I just think it's a wonderful food because not only are we getting the benefits and they're very nutritious, but we're also getting these immunological benefits. And, and so, this is the key. The beta-glucans are the key to these mushrooms. And that's why for us, what we do is we test all of our products for beta-glucans. And then we can guarantee to our customers that they have the compounds in the products that, that should be there. So a question, so, okay, so the takeaway is, yes, the mushrooms across the board are, well, first off, they're adaptogens, right? They're great for immune boosting. Uh, but maybe you could talk a little bit. I'm always confused about the subject. And so adaptogens, medicinal mushrooms are great to be, you know, as a preventative measure, to, as you said, incorporate into your daily routine, whether in supplement form or as a food. And it's a slow build, right? This is not like you take, you, you know, you, you eat you eat a few mushrooms and you suddenly feel the benefits. It's a, it's, it's a building loading process. So in terms of prevention from keeping uh, you know, healthy, once you are sick, once you have a cold um, or the flu or any kind of virus, should you pull back from the mushrooms, the medicinal mushrooms, or should you keep on? And if you haven't taken them, should you start to take them? Or is it a contraindication because it's suddenly too immune, it's stimulating your immune system too much? So it's basically like, if you're already having symptoms, will it stimulate your immune system to the point that you're now having just like, you know, more symptoms that it becomes uncomfortable? Well, what I would say is that, is that you could start taking them at any time. And, and I don't think it's a question of overstimulation. Um, mm -hmm. I don't really think they work that way. Certainly not in what I've read. 
I mean, the point is, is that having them there, having them being able to, you know, they're called, they're basically called potentiators. And so potentiation really means strengthening. So strengthening the immune response, that's really the key here. Got it. So should should we talk about the obvious right now, given the fact that it's uh, March 2020 and we're dealing with an insane coronavirus? Um, well... Can we talk about antiviral properties of medicinal mushrooms and just <laughs> sure, sure. You know what? The medicinal mushrooms do have antiviral properties. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna say that that. Oh yeah, take them now and you won't get coronavirus or anything like that. I mean, I don't, I don't make any claims for for uh, mushrooms in general, other than I think they're a wonderful food and and a good medicine. Uh, but it's hard to make any claims. But there are definitely, there's definitely research out there that shows they have uh, antiviral properties. Some of it is is relatively specific, and and what I would say is is some mushrooms have triterpenoids in them, and these triterpenoids that would be reishi, that would be chaga. They have these triterpenoids, and they have definitely done some tests that demonstrate that those triterpenoids have antiviral properties. The other the other side of it too is that you know they they basically are antibiotic. I mean, mushrooms in general, they are antibacterial, antifungal. So they have kind of a broad spectrum of action against other microorganisms. And certainly in terms of viruses, it's interesting because we just sold out and we've got a lot of pressure on our products right now. People that are looking to mushrooms for some help. And, and I certainly hope they, they get some and, uh, um, but yes, there is there is research out there that shows antiviral properties. But so that's I guess goes back to what you were saying earlier. So it makes it a little confusing because we are, you know, we're we're learning to think about them preventatively, which suggests that, you know, it's not gonna fix what ails you once you have something that ails you. The goal is to avoid the ailment in the first place. But then by the same token, you know, one of the most well known mushroom compounds that we know is is penicillin, and that obviously is addressing what what is currently ailing you, and not preventative. So how do we how do we kind of reconcile those two things? Well, you know what the, they have actually developed uh, antibiotics, a uh, number of different antibiotics from fungi, and, and penicillin is interesting because it comes from that grouping that I was talking about called imperfect fungi. It came from what we would look at as a mold. (laughs) So uh, it's not something that is part of like, it's not, didn't come from a mushroom. Uh, It came from a mold, but certainly those compounds are there. Could you just define quickly the difference between mold and and fungi? Sure, sure. Well, well, fungi and the, the kingdom of fungi is a very, very large grouping. Okay. So one of the divisions is this imperfect and perfect. Imperfect is where molds are. And, and, and you've seen molds around and, and people talk about molds and being allergic to molds and things like that. We see molds probably most often on bread. If your bread has a little bit of moisture and it's getting old, all of a sudden you'll see a green mold on it. If, you, if you've noticed it right off the bat, it, that will be a white, and that's a white mycelium. And then when it turns green, what happens is those are spores. And so that's what really when people talk about mold 
issues in their home or something like that. What they're really worried about are the spores. So once it sporulates and those spores get into your lungs, then they irritate your lungs and you can be allergic and things like that. So when people talk about molds, that's primarily what we're looking at. And they do not produce a mushroom or what we call a fruiting body. The perfect fungi will produce this mushroom or a fruiting body of some sort. Because mushrooms, we tend to think of mushrooms as what we would call a fleshy fungus, which is something with a stem and a cap and something that we normally eat. That's what we would normally uh, term a mushroom, a fleshy fungus. So, But there's many different types of these fruiting bodies out there that are all sorts of different strange shapes, sometimes like coral or other things like that. But that's that's really the difference between a mold and a mushroom. The mold does not produce a mushroom, does not produce a fruiting body, whereas the perfect fungi of which mushrooms are a part do produce that fruiting body. Okay, so for the people who, who think like I... You know, I have whatever issue or condition or health issue. Um, I'm supposed to stay away from from molds. I mean, is it okay in some situations? I know you're not a doctor, but this is, you know, a medical doctor. But, you know, what do you say to those people who kind of just lump everything all together? <laughs> well, I, I think it's misguided. And, you know, it's just, it's just like uh, for a long time, there's been this uh, urban myth about um, if you have candida, do not eat mushrooms because right. uh, a fungus feeds a fungus. Well, that actually, there's not a single scientific paper on that anywhere. I mean, I've searched, other people have searched. It's just an urban myth. And it's kind of the idea of, have you ever heard of the doctrine of signatures, which is kind of like, like produces like. You know, doctrine of signatures would say, oh, gee, if you see something that's shaped in the form of a kidney, it's probably good for your kidney. Well, that's your brain. Yeah. And so this is the whole idea of, oh, if you have candida, which is a yeast infection, do not eat mushrooms, which are not a yeast. They're a different, different form of, of fungus. That mushroom will somehow feed the yeast. It just doesn't work that way. So it's really that whole idea is just not really uh, supported by any scientific evidence. I like it. Let's keep let's keep cracking myths. <laughs> All right, what's another one? Let's bust another myth. Oh man! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, do we want to get started down that path? <laughs> well, you started talking about how you know mushrooms can do a lot of things, but they don't actually you know cure you know, late stage diseases, et cetera. So maybe we should talk a bit more just about what they do offer us and the different types and, you know, what, what you like and what you feel is, is, you know, the, the one- sure. Well, well, and, 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 you know, just to start that off, let me just say something that, that I think is very important for people. Mushrooms will not cure your cancer. So if you've ever heard that about mushrooms curing cancer, you know what, maybe somebody somewhere, maybe it's helped them, but that's not, they're not going to cure your cancer. So, so just forget about that. What they will do and where they are used often is in conjunction with conventional 
cancer therapies. Mm -hmm. So because if you're if you're taking if you're getting radiation, if you're taking chemotherapy, it is destroying your immune system. Uh, in Japan and China, they've even created refined mushroom products that they they use as drugs, and they use it in conjunction with cancer therapies. In in Japan, there's a drug called PSK that comes from turkey tail. In China, there's another one called PSP that comes from turkey tail. So they do use them in conjunction with standard therapies. And and again, um, you shouldn't think of them when you're looking at an illness like cancer. It's not going to cure you, but it may in fact help you uh, with your immunity uh, if you if you use it along with it. But you know what? Uh, again, for me, I think you have to kind of get away from the idea that, oh, I've got, I'm, I'm sick with something right now. I better start taking mushrooms because that's going to cure me of this or whatever. It's, they're really, no, that, that's not really the way mushrooms work. Mushrooms really are something that you need to be taking pretty regularly. And that's why I always tell people, put them into your diet. Uh, every mushroom has got beta glucans in it. So every mushroom will actually feed those uh, receptor sites down there. And the thing about mushrooms is that they have a lot of fiber and that fiber is, uh, is beta-glucan. So, so you're getting a lot of that that's going to be feeding your microbiome. They're a fantastic food. So people need to really uh, put mushrooms into the diet. And then, and then if you feel like, okay, I, I would like to go a step further, then think about supplementing with mushrooms. Right. So, okay. So across the board, mushrooms are definitely, we've, we've got the immunity piece. That seems to be the strongest sort of, you know, common denominator. Can we talk a little bit about a few of the more common medicinal mushrooms and how they stand out, um, what they offer as you know individuals? Sure, absolutely. I mean, I mean, let's just talk about the most popular mushroom right now, which sort of awesome. came out of nowhere, so to speak. Which is which is actually you no, know, is lion's mane. Oh, lion's mane. Yes, for sure. Lion's mane. It's just like. Four years ago, I don't think we sold 50 kilos of lion's mane in a year. Today, we sell tons and tons of lion's mane. I mean, I mean, literally tons of lion's mane. And, and lion's mane has properties which stimulate a protein that we produce called nerve growth factor. And nerve growth factor is responsible for helping to organize and helping to maintain nerve cells. So stimulating nerve growth factor is what lion's mane will do. And that's very helpful to us, especially as we age or um, uh, they've been using it in tests for dementia, uh, Alzheimer's. And the great thing about lion's mane is we actually have clinical trials. There's clinical trials that have been done in Japan, which have taken Two groups, for example, one of the clinical trials, two groups of, of 30 people, uh, people in their 70s, um, they gave them three grams of dried lion's mane mushroom. Three grams. That is nothing. They what gave is that, them a handful? <laughs> well, you know what? That's interesting because, because uh, um, well, it would be, yeah, it would be a f more than a little. Well, no, it wouldn't be that many. It would be, uh, well, anyway, I'll talk because I, I, I was going to say what happens is I have taken a, a button mushroom, a, a medium-sized button mushroom, which is solid, 
put it on a scale, 40 grams for this fresh mushroom. Wow. That one mushroom, you dry that out, that's only four grams. And and think about that for a second. That one button mushroom, medium size, 40 grams. I, I mean, look, I can sit down to a, a mushroom feast and I can eat 200 grams of fresh mushrooms, no problem. <laughs> so I can, I can take it down. Yeah. yeah. So, so at any rate, they're giving these people three grams of lion's mane powder after 90 days. I, I know they, they give them battery of tests first off. And then after 90 days, they test them again. The group that took the lion's mane did much better on the tests than the control. Okay, cool. That, that, that's kind of interesting. They stopped taking the lion's mane. 30 days later, they tested both groups again. The group that was, did so well dropped back down to baseline. Wow. Now that's really interesting. They've done the same in tests with people who've had dementia, done the whole testing thing. Same thing. Seems to enhance cognition. Now, there's, there's loads of people out there taking lion's mane. And, and you know, it's interesting. If you ever read the, uh, like a product, you see it on Amazon or something, you read the, the different reviews and stuff like that. And some people like, oh, I took Lion's Mane and yesterday and today I'm just a bright as the sun kind of thing. And then, you know, and, and for me, I'm like, look, no, that, that's fine. I'm not going to contradict you. But no, it takes time. You know, maybe 30 days before you're going to start to feel anything. And then, you know, how are we going to measure this? What is the difference? Well, I guess if you feel like you're you're a little more with it in terms of your cognition and so on, well, great. I, I'm happy for you. But I think, too, the other thing is, look, don't take small amounts here. Be sure you're taking a reasonable enough amount because that's the other thing about herbal products to me is like, look, every herbal product out there that comes in a bottle with capsules will tell you to take two capsules a day because they've got 60 in there. And that means you've got a 30-day supply. That is meaningless. Think about, uh, think about, uh, so you taking those two capsules a day and then somebody you know, like some male out there that weighs over 200 pounds taking two capsules a day. Right. What equivalency is there, right? There's not. So you really have to look at that and go, okay, what do I really need to take? What does, is the proper dose? And I'm, I'm, I firmly believe that most products out there are just, you know, they're, they're, you're under, you're not getting enough in general. You really need to take more than what it tells you to take. Well, and is there, I mean, I guess, you know, anybody would, would want to err on the side of underdosing because of fear of the unknown, but is there an actual risk in taking too much? Is there such thing as too much when we're talking about these types of things? Not with medicinal mushrooms, no. There's really not that, that fear of taking too much. And, and I mean, that's like, just for example, Okay, if I've I've just eaten 200 grams of fresh mushrooms, that's 20 grams of dried mushrooms that I've just consumed in a meal, and, and uh, literally, I mean, it's just I, I'm fine. Obviously, I mean, maybe other people wouldn't. And what I always tell people is, I don't care what it is—food, supplement, whatever—start with a small amount. You know, especially if you're if you're eating mushrooms, start with a small amount. Just see how your body likes it. If everything's good or not, and then you can maybe boost it up and, and, and eat more. But that, that's something for me is, is really important. People can't just jump in and just consume huge amounts of something. And, uh, you know, for some people that might be a mistake. 
So I take about 500 milligrams a day in just a coffee, ground coffee format. I don't know. I'm, you know, average weight and height. Like, what do you think? Do you think that's a therapeutic dose or do you think that's just not enough? You're talking about lion's mane? It's a, it's a blend of lion's mane and chaga. Well, I mean, I guess what I would say is it just depends on, on the brand and who's making it and whether it's real or not real. It's and that's, real. That's key. Well, if it's real, 500 grams. Um, milligrams. Milligrams. Oh, sorry. Sorry. Yeah. 500 grams in your coffee. Wow. Um, <laughs> that's on the low side. And again, it depends on whether it's just the straight ground up mushroom or whether it's an extract that's a little more concentrated. Because if you're just getting, if you're just getting a ground up herb, or mushroom that you're you're working with, you know the entry level, let's say. So uh, in that sense, no, 500 milligrams is not enough. You'd be much better off taking a thousand or or two thousand. But if it's a 500 milligram extract, then how much of that is is depending uh, on depending on the concentration. And here's here's my here's my general uh, recommendations because there was a paper written by a MD who. Grew up in Hong Kong and knows a lot about traditional Chinese medicine, but he's also a Western doctor, practices in New York City, actually. And he did a paper where he, he, he looked at all of the literature on traditional Chinese medicine and mushrooms. And he came up with, and he did this for Reishi, he came up with two to five grams of dried mushroom or extract equivalent. So, for example, if you had two, let's just say the two grams of dried mushroom and you did a 10 to 1 extract of that, that means the equivalent would be 200 milligrams of extract. Or if you're at the five gram basis, that means in a 10 to 1 extract, you'd need 500 milligrams of that extract. So I, I like that. Uh, and I think that's reasonable. And I use that and I give that paper to most people. And say, you know, follow these guidelines here. Two to five grams of dried mushroom or extract equivalent. So, so obviously, if a 10 to, 10 to 1 extract is, is 500 milligrams, well, if it's a 5 to 1, it's going to be 250 milligrams. So, again, this is the... And what are extracts commonly? What is the ratio normally? Well, what we produce generally with our extracts are, are 8 to 1s. Okay. So that's, that's, I mean, you see a lot of extracts out there that are four to one. That's kind of a common level. Um, you know, as you start, the thing about it is, 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 um, extracts, generally speaking, if it's done properly, you are going to, it, it oftentimes is a better value than just a straight powder. Because a straight powder of any herb, you're going to have to take a lot. Yeah. To really get the benefits out of that. Because, you know, we're looking at this herb and, and you're getting a lot of fiber. It doesn't matter what it is. You're getting a lot of fiber in there. And that fiber is not like going to help you with your digestion or anything like that. Because it's only a couple of grams. You're eating food that's got tons of fiber, generally vegetables, right? And you're getting lots of fiber through those vegetables. One gram of, of, uh, of fiber <laughs> that you're taking in a couple of capsules is not really going to help your microbiome all that much. Mm -hmm. 
I mean, that's helpful. Yeah, it's very confusing. Um, it's going to be interesting to see what happens as, you know, medicinal mushrooms gain popularity as they are. They're kind of, as you mentioned, just exploding right now. People are kind of waking up to what they can do for us, but it's because there's no regulation. It's just going to be the total confusion on the shelves for consumers when they're looking across from what's the right therapeutic dose to, is it mycelium to, is it organic? Is it dual extracted? Is it, you know, test for toxins? So uh, hold on to your hat. I, I would agree. And, and, you know, the, the interesting part about it is that you look at a lot of products and, and what a lot of people focus on are what I call the merit badges. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you see a little badge that says certified organic, uh, vegan, uh, kosher, and, and, you know, there just seems to be more badges all the time, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and so you can have these myceliated grain products with all the merit badges because they can use, they can use uh, um, organic grain. They can do it, the whole thing organically. They can get a kosher certified. They can do it in a GMP laboratory, all the rest. And you think, oh, yeah, that's great. All the bases are covered. Well, that's great, but they're still selling you rice powder. Or well, that's why we have to create the merit merit badge that says my uh, fruiting body, no mycelium. <laughs> well, well, you know what? In a sense, we do. In a sense, we do. We we we're very strong about that. And and because of my white paper on this whole issue in 2015, a lot of products now will say, um, whether it be on the label or on the website, they will say no mycelium. No grain, no starch. Ah, very important. Yes. So what other mushrooms do you really like? So we talked a little bit about lion's mane. We talked a little bit about turkey tail already. I know you have some opinions on chaga. Um, And (laughs) we're interested in hearing thoughts on reishi as well as chaga. Yeah, sure. Well, let me just speak to chaga a little bit. You know, the the issue that happens in the supplement industry and a lot of other industries is, is we have what's called the flavor of the month. And right now it's chaga. And and for example, right now I, I, I go out on the internet and I see these sites and chaga is the king of mushrooms. There's nothing it can't do or cure or whatever. And I, I'm just like, you know, please stop doing this. This is not helpful. You know, they treat it as a panacea. Mm-hmm. And it's like, no, it is not a panacea. Chaga's got some great properties. It was used primarily for people with stomach issues. And that's what I tell people. Look, if you've got like irritable bowel syndrome or Crohn's disease or something, try chaga. It might help you. Chaga also does have these triterpenoids, which have, have been shown to have uh, antiviral properties. So, you know, that, that may be why. Well, Actually, our chaga sold out two weeks ago. Our with the, the retail chaga that we have, and it, primarily a couple of influencers went on uh, the web and talked it up. And the next thing you know, boom, gone. But I've seen in my lifetime, I've seen four different kings of mushroom. In the in the seventies, it was shiitake. <laughs> in the eighties and early nineties, it was reishi. In the Late 90s, all of a sudden, maitake was the king of mushrooms. And it all just depended on who had the most money to spend on, on advertising. Who had the biggest and, and now chaga, and I think with chaga, part of it is that the entry into the chaga 
market is a little bit lower because you can go out and harvest it on your own. If you live in a place where you've got a lot of birch forests, you can go out there and harvest it and all of a sudden you're in business. So that that is kind of like, okay, Chaga's the new kid on the block, but look, uh, think about it more for stomach issues. It does have antiviral properties. It does have some immunological properties. It's a good, solid medicinal mushrooms. It's got history of use in in Russia, Eastern Europe. So I like chaga in that sense, but it's not the king. <laughs> All right. So who's the king? Who's no ring? Well, you know what? I people often ask me, well, what, well, what mushroom do you take? And I'm like, well, I I like reishi. And reishi. The reason I like reishi is because you know what's interesting about our beta glucan tests is is we through these tests we found that reishi and turkey tail have the highest levels of beta glucans of all the mushrooms, and I'm like that is so interesting because here it is reishi has been used for thousands of years it is highly considered in China and not just for its beta glucans but also for these triterpenoid compounds and these are what make reishi bitter. Have you ever actually had a reishi tea or reishi where you're just going like, oh my God, that is bitter. Yeah, That's something too where I always tell people, if you have a reishi product, you're not certain whether it's real or not, open up the capsule and taste it. If it's bitter, it's probably okay. If it's not, you don't have reishi. So it's got these bitter triterpenes and they actually are really good for the liver. They they uh, will basically... Uh, enhance the liver's properties and clean, cleaning the bloods and, and so on. So reishi, the triterpenes are good for that. They also have anti-tumor properties as well. So for me, reishi is a uh, has the beta-glucans, but it also has this other level, and it's got a lot of these triterpenes in it, up to 4% triterpenes. So it, it is sort of like medicinal mushroom plus, in a sense, you know? Mm-hmm. Cordyceps grows on a caterpillar. Poor thing. The caterpillar hibernates in the in the fall underground, about an inch underground in pastures. It doesn't realize that it's got cordyceps spores attached to it, or maybe they're in the ground. It those spores germinate. They consume the inner part of the caterpillar. In the spring, up comes this little cordyceps, which is kind of like a blade of grass. The caterpillar never wakes up. Uh. <laughs> or you know, it's it's a uh, the caterpillar of a moth, and so you know a lot of the moths don't get infected, and so they they actually you know go on to become moths, but a lot of them don't. So so you have people on their hands and knees combing through the pastures of Tibet, looking for this caterpillar fungus. It's been used for thousands of years, and right now it's worth twenty thousand dollars a dried kilogram, it's and it's just like. Crazy. Now, can you imagine? I'm at the Natural Foods Expo in Los Angeles. It's 1990. People are coming by my my table, my booth there, and I'm going, hey, have you ever heard of cordyceps? A really great Chinese herb. I show it to them and they look at it and they go, my customers are not going to eat caterpillars. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's like, it's I understand. Point. Okay. It's a fair point. <laughs> besides, besides, they're vegetarian. And we don't eat caterpillar meat, right? But this is what's really cool about China. They've got so many mushroom scientists working all the time that now they've actually learned how to grow cordyceps and without the insects. So we have cordyceps now that was 100% 
just the cordyceps itself, no insects involved. No caterpillars? That's another merit badge. (laughs) I know, (laughs) that's that's right. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, No insect cordyceps. Yeah. But it's it's a it's been traditionally used for weakness, fatigue. So if you've got an illness coming out of an illness, that's where they've used cordyceps traditionally. It's also been used for um, uh, impotence. Um, whether or not that is a doctrine of signatures or not, I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> because you know, it's this little this little thing standing up down there in the grass. Yep. yep. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, but that's really, you know, I'm just always grateful when they they come out and are growing or cultivating. I believe in cultivation. I do not like wildcrafting. Wildcrafting is great locally for us as individuals. But when wildcrafting goes into commercial mode, next thing you know, They've gone out there and they've taken everything that there is. And before long, they've taken it all and it's gone. Mm -hmm. So I don't really like wildcrafting. I do then really like the fact that we can cultivate our cordyceps now. And the other thing it has is it does seem to enhance um, our oxygen utilization. So that's kind of interesting. And, And I think I mentioned to you the fact that there was this big thing about Chinese runners and back in the 90s and how they broke all these records and it was all because of cordyceps. And, and, and the coach had said it was cordyceps and he had this special herbal blend that he was giving his athletes. And then it later came out that no, that actually was not the case. It was actually, they were doping back in the 90s using EPO and EPO, they didn't have tests for it back then. And so they all got busted in the late 90s. And no, all those Olympic records are some of them are still standing and they haven't stripped them away and they should have because they, those records were done with people who were taking uh, performance-enhancing drugs. But the rumor that's out there is that they won because they were supplementing with cordyceps. That's right. That's yeah. right. In fact, it even, it even uh, an article on that in Time Magazine. Yeah. And, you know, when it first came out, I was like, whoopee, this is wonderful, right? And then later on, oh, you know, also mention the steroids. Uh, you know, of course. <laughs> <laughs> well, the steroids didn't. You know, it wasn't until like five or six years later, and then the, that story didn't get out in the same way. Although, as you know, back in that period, or maybe you don't because you're both pretty young. But but uh, back in that period, there were a lot. There was a lot of that going on, and a lot of people got busted. I mean, think about Lance Armstrong, for example. Right. He ultimately got busted because uh, this EPO, they couldn't test for a while. But, but that story, whenever that comes out and I hear that story, I'm always like, oh my God, here it goes again. Yeah. And, and companies that use it, I'm always like, just, you know, <laughs> don't use that story. All right. We will not use that. We will squash it. So what do you think? So the... <laughs> I don't know if this is a silly question, but I see products out there that have, you know, they're selling specific mushrooms and tying it to specific functions, like you said, athletic performance, whatever it might be. Why not just, you know, and then some other companies just lump them all together and say, here's a blend of 10 different mushrooms. Uh, Why, why would you take, you know, specifically you, like, why would you choose to take only reishi and not have just 
a mixed bag and try and cover more of your bases? Well, you know, I let me just say this about combo products. Uh, we have one combo product. I mean, I mean, you know, and just so people know, I mean, my company has is primarily selling raw materials to other companies, so it's a business to business. We also have a retail line. We have one product in the retail line that is a combination of five different mushrooms. I think, from what I've seen, that you know the beta glucan for mushrooms. Every single species, the beta glucan is a little bit different. So a beta glucan is not just it's the same for everything. It's not the architecture. How that beta glucan is actually structured is a little bit different for each species, and that's why some species are highly medicinal. Other species are not because all mushrooms have beta glucans. Some mushrooms with the beta glucans they don't have this medicinal activity. Um, so so. In that sense, I think it's possible. And I've got a paper that I just got recently that put three mushrooms together. They did a bunch of tests and showed that the immunological benefits were stronger when they put the three together than each one individually. Mm-hmm. That was interesting to me. And, and listen, I, I've never been one to go, oh, yeah, put them together. You've got a synergy and that's great. So I'm always waiting for the science to come along. And and prove something, and and um, but but here here's here's what happens. Somebody puts out a product with ten different species. What have they done really? What they've done is that they've diluted the really powerful species with other species that are not that great. And and then what happens is somebody says, "Oh yeah, you've got ten, eh? Well, I'm going to put out a product that's got seventeen in it." And now you're down to like what? 30 milligrams or 50 milligrams or something of each single species. So now you're down to where you're really diluting it. There's a product out there that actually has 24 different species. And I'm just like, okay, when do we put the kitchen sink into this thing? Right. You know, and and so I'm really totally against those products. And, And let me say this is when we test those products, for beta-glucans, they are always the lowest of all the products in beta-glucans. So essentially, as you add more species, you're just lowering the quality of that product. So I, I just think stay away from those products because that, that again is like, oh, here is your uh, jar of powder. It's got everything you'll ever need, vitamin, mineral, you know, it's like you're all in one product. Those products to me are, it's a gimmick. Yeah. And, and it's something that's more, in my opinion, for sales and trying to convince people that, oh, you've got everything in here. So you don't need to buy all of those other products. You just got this one big thing, take a scoop of it every day and you're good. It's like a multivitamin in a way. Right. It's a very similar principle. And it's, it's the same principle, exactly. The same principle of that. And, and so, so no, I, I think, again, you know, I, I always tell people that come to me, uh, customers for Namex, I just say, you know what, five is the limit. But beyond that, you're getting into species that you're just going to lower the overall benefits after that five. So that's my uh, opinion on, on that whole idea. 
kind of how I feel about um, shampoo that already has conditioner in it. (laughs) (laughs) Right. It doesn't work. It It doesn't work. (laughs) (laughs) Well, this is fascinating. You're... Uh, you're, you're such a pro. You're such an expert on this. And I'm so happy to finally have someone who could speak so intelligently and, uh, and cut through a lot of the noise. Because while I'm very excited for this category to explode because it's just so beneficial, I'm also you know kind of terrified at all the confusion surrounding it. Um, well, and it's amazing how much already, even though it feels like the market is not saturated at this point, but already there is... There's confusion, there's conflict, there's completely contradiction, contradicting views on certain things. So it's hard to know what is the, you know, the right direction. But I mean, I'm going to take it from the guy that was, you know, doing this in 1980. <laughs> it seems like a good well, well, you know what? And, and what I try to do out there is educate people. You know, I'm not like, for example, talking to you today, I'm not here to sell anybody, any products. That's not what I'm doing. I'm just trying to make it a little more clear out there, hopefully, because there is so much misinformation. And the problem is that most people are very familiar with plants. Everybody can go out and put a seed in the ground and go, oh, wow, look at this grow. And we know how it all works. But mushrooms? No, nobody knows anything about it. Have either of you ever been to a mushroom farm? No. Yeah. How many? Nobody has because primarily they're grown indoors. And so you could drive right by a mushroom farm and never even know that it's there. Whereas you've, of course, always uh, driven by and seen fields of uh, sunflowers or corn or something. So we sort of know about plants. But when it comes to mushrooms, we don't, most people don't even have a clue, which makes it so much easier to bamboozle them and to put out information that is absolutely false or incorrect and what I would call for the most part marketing speak. There is so much false marketing information out there. And the biggest the biggest one of all is these people that claim they are selling mushrooms when there's not a single mushroom in those products. It's all this myceliated grain and mostly starch. And it and it really drives me over the edge because I'm like, people are buying these products because they think they're going to be getting benefits. They've heard about this from wherever. They think they're going to be getting benefits. Um, My son just was at a conference a couple of weeks ago, and it had a lot of uh, health practitioners there. It was That's what it was about. And he met uh, a woman there who was fairly well-known, and and she had, uh, I think it was MS, and she said, oh, yeah, I've been taking this great mushroom product. And he said, oh, well, hate to tell you this. And I've done this before, too. That brand is mostly starch. She was floored yeah. and rather unhappy, as, as well she should be, uh, that she was taking a starch product all of this time thinking she was getting benefits from a medicinal mushroom. Yeah. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? I had to have a very similar conversation with a friend of mine who was hardcore into keto. And I was like, let me tell you something, keto Katie, your mushroom product that I'm looking at is full of grains. So <laughs> you better go do your test again. Well, yeah. And, 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 and here's, here's a, a great little test too. 
she can take that product, she can dump out three or four capsules into a quarter cup of water, stir it up really good, let it let it uh, hydrate a bit, and then buy a little bottle of iodine, 10 drops of iodine in there, iodine reacts with starch and will turn that black. Huh. So that iodine starch test is a fantastic test that you can do in your kitchen with nothing more than a little bottle of iodine. Wow. Oh, that's going to be fun. It is fantastic because, you know, they say, oh, yeah, sure, whatever. Yeah, you're just telling me that because of, you know, like for me, it's like, oh, yeah, you're just trying to sell me your product. And and you're, you know, that's what I get back from those companies out there because they know who I am, obviously. And they just tell their customers, oh, you know, that's just all. He's just trying to sell his product. And he's like, he's this kind of hating on all these other products. And so, no. Just a negative thing. Don't listen to him. Our products are great. Our products are mushroom. Really? <laughs> like- I mean, I think it just comes down to, I mean, first of all, people don't know what they don't know, right? Like who would ever even think to look for these things? Right. Like they ha- you have to, they have to learn what's important and what isn't um, and then ask for proof. And so, I, I mean, it would be interesting to just be able to share the white paper about you know mycelium versus fruiting body, we'd be happy to help get that word out. Oh, hey, look, the white paper is uh, is uh, downloadable right from our website, and I I put it out there far and wide. And I've also done a couple of um, in 2016, I did a presentation on it to the International Society for Mushroom Science in Amsterdam, and and in 2019, I just presented uh, a paper on it to the International Medicinal Mushroom Conference in in China. So I mean, I'm spreading it out there. The word is getting out. But I mean, you know, it it I haven't gotten to Joe Rogan yet. So it's like it hasn't gotten <laughs> any people. Right? I'm clawing my way up. <laughs> <laughs> well, let us be a rung on your ladder. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I I, I again, I, I'm just trying to educate people because I want people to get the benefits. I. I I see the people out there taking these starchy products and I'm just, I just feel sad about it because, you know, and, and you've got these gurus out there that are claiming they're just wonderful products. And I'm just like, oh my God, yeah. you know, and, and people, companies making millions of dollars off these, these uh, grain powders. I mean, it's just like, holy smokes, that's, that's the most expensive grain powder anybody has ever bought. Right. And, and it's just shocking. It's literally shocking. All right, well... Hopefully, if anybody has not heard before, then they're hearing it here first. <laughs> um, and uh, oh God, there's like, we, we'll, we'll come back to you for chapter two because there's just so much more to dig into. Sure, sure. Absolutely. That sounds great. Thank well, you so much, Jeff. This was awesome. Yes, thank you. Thank you for having me. I really enjoyed the, uh, the conversation and, and your questions and all. So it was, it was great for me to to uh, be here and and I hope I've uh, helped out some of your listeners. Absolutely. All right. Stay safe and be healthy. Will do. (laughs) Thanks for listening to HTW. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and make sure and rate us on iTunes. You can even give us five whole stars if you think we deserve it. If you have ideas for guests or topics, you can call our 1-800 number. Yes, we have a 1-800 number at 800 674-1839 674-1839 or holler at us on social at HTW Podcast. 
You can also head to our website at hgwpodcast.com for more episode info and check out our Daily Blend blog to see what we're drinking.